Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, April 9th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, gold traded at five-week highs yesterday and cracked the key 1750 an ounce level. Uh, we've had a little bit of profit taking today, and the dollar has strengthened somewhat. So we're back below 1750. We're like at 1743 as I'm recording this. But all in all, a good week for gold. Now, not much substantively has changed, but it's almost like the markets woke up and said. Oh, the Federal Reserve really means it when it says it isn't going to bother with inflation. Now, part of this came from the release of the minutes from the March FOMC meeting. The minutes really didn't say anything that anybody who is really paying attention to Fed messaging didn't know already. The minutes reiterated that the central bank is going to keep its extraordinary monetary policy in place until the economy shows, quote, substantial further progress toward the dual goals of full employment and inflation that runs around 2%. Now, a CNBC report noted that this is actually, broadly speaking, a shift in policy in that in the past, the Fed would react to anticipated inflation. Instead, the FOMC members said that changes in policy, quote, should be based primarily on observed outcomes rather than forecasts. Interestingly, some people in the mainstream are actually starting to question why the Fed is still engaged in emergency monetary policy when, ostensibly, there isn't an emergency anymore. An analyst over at BlackRock that was quoted by CNBC said continued economic gains and progress in fighting the pandemic through the vaccines makes it difficult to understand how policy is properly calibrated now. He said, quote, the same emergency stance remains despite the absence of emergency conditions. But you know what? It's not really that hard to understand at all. The Fed minutes hint at the real reason. FOMC members claimed that the $120 billion a month bond purchases, i.e. quantitative easing, quote, were providing substantial support to the economy. Now, that's not altogether true. The Fed buying U.S. Treasuries doesn't put people back to work. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't put money in your pocket. But it does prop up the bond market so the U.S. government can continue to borrow and spend. This whole economy is built on borrow and spend. So borrowing and spending must go on. So this nutty monetary policy remains in place because The Fed can't get rid of it. Not without collapsing the economic house of cards, it has helped build with trillions of dollars of debt. The Fed can't raise rates. It can't stop buying bonds because the U.S. government is depending on these policies to fund its trillions of dollars in spending. I mean, this is a theme that I've revisited over and over in this podcast, and I keep talking about it because I think it is the most important thing for us to grasp as we wrestle with what's going on with the economy moving forward. Now, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell reinforced the Fed's dovish position during a panel discussion on the global economy yesterday. Uh, This is during the IMF and World Bank Group's 2021 spring meetings. Uh, 
First, he echoed the policy stance that we saw in the March minute, saying, quote, our asset purchases will continue until we see substantial progress towards our goal. We are looking for actual progress, inflation, and indicators of maximum employment. So again, just because people think there's going to be inflation doesn't mean the Fed is going to act. It's not going after inflation until it sees the whites of its eyes. And Powell once again downplayed that inflation threat. He reminds us that inflation is something that goes up year by year. Now, you should pause for a moment and think about that. The powers that be devalue your currency as a matter of policy year after year. And this is somehow supposed to be good. Rising prices, that's good news in the modern world of economic thought. Okay, so quit worrying about it, citizen. Anyway, Powell even admitted that they are likely going to see some bigger price increases in the coming months, so inflation. But he's sticking to this theory that it is transitory. Remember, that's one of our key Fed-speak words. Inflation is transitory. And he entered a new Fed-speak word into the lectionary, bottlenecks. Powell said there would be transitory higher prices and bottlenecks as economies open up and we have this big surge in demand. Now, by bottlenecks, he's talking about supply chain issues. So we're going to have this big surge in demand, which is good, but we might see some supply or some price jumps due to supply issues because of these bottlenecks. But Paul promised, quote, they are unlikely to change inflation dynamics that have been in place for many years. And he reiterated price increases will be temporary. Now, in other words, since inflation has been low for years, it's going to remain low because, hey, that's how it's been. This seems like a good time to remind everybody that just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's never going to happen. You know, what's that old saying you hear on ads for investment products? Past results don't guarantee future performance. Now, Powell actually conceded this. He said there is no certainty in the uh, this inflation forecast, but quote, if inflation expectations were to move up materially and persistently above 2%, we would react. Okay, first off, no, you wouldn't, because as I've already explained, you can't. Second, what does all of this even mean, persistently? Okay, define that. Two months of high inflation? Three months? A year? What is persistent inflation? And what is materially? 3% inflation? 4%? 5%? 6%? You know, the thing with inflation is that it's really hard to get back under control once it really gets rolling. I mean, have you ever tried to put an egg back in the shell? It's like that. Once the Fed recognizes that, oops, this ain't transitory, it's going to be too late. You know, we're not talking about raising rates to 2 or 3% to tackle the problem. And if you recall, we got into the 2 to 3% range back in 2018, and the economy went all wobbly, and the Fed went right back to loose monetary policy. Remember, we had rate cuts and QE before the pandemic. So the economy couldn't handle 2%. How in the heck is it going to handle the 15 or 20% rate it would take to rein in material inflation? 
You know, I'm not just pulling that number out of the air either. Remember when Volcker finally tackled inflation in the 1970s? Rates went to 20%. Well, actually, he tackled in the 80s, but it was the inflation of the 70s. Regardless, 20% interest rates. Can you imagine the economy today with 20% interest rates? What's really going on here is Powell and company are operating on a wing and a prayer. This is wing and a prayer monetary policy. They are hoping to the economic gods that prices don't actually go up. They're hoping that inflation doesn't really happen. This is all based on on hope. But I'm going to take economic reality over Powell's hopes Every time. The money supply has increased at record levels. The only comparable period was the aforementioned 1970s. As one economist I was reading this week put it, if the money supply increases, eventually this increase will work its way into the price structure. It can do nothing else. Powell also threw in some caution about this so-called economic recovery, saying, quote, we would look at global vaccination as a risk to progress that we're making. In other words, there could be more economic lockdowns and problems related to the Rona. He added that viruses have no respect for borders. Until the world is vaccinated, we will be at risk for new mutations and won't be able to resume activity around the world, Powell said. See, so this is more excuses for this continued loose monetary policy. And regardless, I'm a little skeptical of this whole recovery narrative to begin with. You know, we got this great jobs report for March, right? According to the Labor Department numbers, non-farm payrolls rose by 916,000 last month, so almost a million new jobs, and the unemployment rate declined to 6%. And yet every single week, we see masses of people filing first-time jobless claims. So last week, we had 744,000 Americans file unemployment claims. This was well above the expectation of 694,000, and it was an increase of about 16,000 from the previous week's upwardly revised 728,000. Now, this has gone on week after week after week. We still haven't seen weekly unemployment claims drop below the worst week of the Great Recession since this whole pandemic thing started. I never have been able to wrap my head around how so many people file for unemployment week after week, and yet we keep seeing better-than-expected monthly job reports from the Labor Department. I mean, maybe there's a good explanation out there. If you have one, send it to me at mmeharriettshiftgold.com. I haven't seen it, and the cynic in me thinks the Labor Department cooks its numbers. But even if you accept the unemployment numbers at face value, it's not really the great news people want to make it out to be. Peter Schiff did a really good podcast on the March jobs report that I'll link to in the show notes. And he made a really good point. People going back to work do not reflect actual job creation. I know they call these new jobs, but they aren't. Mostly, this is people going back to work after they were laid off because the government wouldn't let them go to work. So this is an economy where jobs that were temporarily put on hold are simply being restored. The Labor Department numbers actually reflect this. The biggest job gains in March were in sectors that were hardest hit by the government's response to the pandemic. The leisure and hospitality sectors showed the strongest gains with 
thousand quote new jobs. Bars and restaurants added uh, one hundred seventy six thousand jobs. Arts and entertainment and recreation added sixty four thousand jobs last month. Uh, there was also a big jump in education jobs as schools began to reopen for in person learning. So it's not like the economy is booming. It's still struggling to get back what it was a year ago. And that wasn't all that great. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of people keep filing for unemployment every week. It just doesn't add up to me. Speaking of not adding up, I've got an interesting anecdotal story for you. So I live in northeast Florida. I'm close to Amelia Island. And the good news here is that tourists are coming back. Uh, I can tell you this from the traffic. But as we kick off the start of tourist season, restaurants here can't find enough workers. Yes, you heard me right. With unemployment at 6%, hundreds of thousands of people filing for unemployment every week, and the Fed working tirelessly to prop up the economy, restaurants around here can't find enough people willing to work. It's so bad that a number of restaurants are actually closing a couple of days a week because they just don't have the staff to stay open. There was a big article in our local paper about this uh, this week, and this has actually been going on for quite a while. My wife and I went to a restaurant over on the island for my birthday back in January, and we got to chatting with the owner. She was having staffing problems then, and she told us exactly why. She said she cannot compete with the government. It is more lucrative for people to sit at home and and collect their enhanced unemployment than it is to go wait tables or cook or wash dishes at Marina Restaurant. Look, the whole economy is a big house of cards. Or maybe a better analogy is a dam with a bunch of holes. And people like Jerome Powell and and Joe Biden are running around desperately sticking their fingers in the leaks, grinning and assuring us everything is fine. You know, they've got it under control. But it's not fine. And it's not under control. And at some point, I have no idea when, this dam is going to crumble and break. So the question as I ask every week, is are you ready for what's coming down the pike? If not, you can always talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist and figure out how to best shield your wealth from the economic chaos that I'm pretty certain is down the road. These guys are fantastic. They will look at your personal situation, your investing goals, goals, and tell you how precious metals can work into your portfolio. So Give them a call, 1-888-GOLD-160, or shoot them an email at info at shiftgold.com and and talk to those folks. Do it today. Well, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the stories that uh, I've talked about and more over at shiftgold.com slash news. Uh, We've got reports about the central bank uh, gold buying for February. Uh, We've got an interesting article on how they calculate GDP. So a lot of good stuff over there. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the podcast over at iTunes, on Stitcher. We're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to everything on the show notes page. As always, I appreciate you listening to the show, and I'll talk to you next time.